Good morning. Welcome to Women in the Word. If you weren't here last week, I'm Shelley Davis, and I have the great privilege of being here with you for the entire month of April, talking about 2 Timothy. I loved all the praises this morning. I happen to know Tracy's mother-in-law, and she is amazing, and I love just all those great encouragements to mother-in-laws. Her mother-in-law has boys, and I have boys, so... Those of us that are going to be mother-in-laws to many need all that um, need that encouragement. And I love Charlotte's too about the uh, women's retreat because I am really sad for those of you that didn't get to go on the women's retreat. I know you all had some sort of uh, reason, someplace else you probably had to be or commitments that you couldn't do, but um, make a plan to be there next year. One of the reasons I'm sad is you missed... Um, meeting the French dance instructors that were there, these two brothers that just randomly showed up at our retreat. In fact, if we weren't having power issues this morning, I I had a picture of one of them for you this morning, Pierre, one of the uh, instructors from uh, La Danse Connexion that... um, (laughs) That loved, he loved Dean Martin and called him Ladino all weekend long. And the reason I brought his picture is because I was just struck all weekend long by the amazing resemblance he had to Lynn Kitchens. And so I just, I just wanted to, which hopefully our power will be back up next week and you'll be able to see if you think there's some sort of a uh, resemblance there to Lynn Kitchens. Um, it was really interesting. I didn't know Lynn had that French heritage in her background, but she must. So the other reason I'm sad is um, I had never met our speaker, Cherry Fuller, before, although I had read many of her books over the years. And so this was the first time I'd met her, and I loved her. I loved her topic, which was connecting us to God through prayer. I loved her authenticity. About halfway through the weekend, she said, you know, if I lived in Fort Worth, I'd go to Christ Chapel. And I said, I know you would love us, and you would love to be there. She was warm and open and um, authentic in her faith and just vulnerable with her struggles. But what I really loved about her the most was that as she shared about her life and as she shared with us the things that she had loved and known about God, it was obvious that she was a woman that faithfulness had been a huge part of her journey towards God. In Sherry, I saw all the essentials of faithfulness that we talked about last week when we opened up 2 Timothy and looked at the first uh, chapter. She had genuine relationships in her life because she shared stories about the people, the women in her life that had spurred her on. These genuine relationships had kept her on the road to faithfulness. She had great courage. She wasn't a woman who life had been easy for. She had had many, many hard things in her life and, in fact, was going through one while we were there at the retreat. Her husband had been without work for four months and they didn't have health insurance and they were trusting God for what he had next for them. She also had um, spiritual loyalty. No matter where she was or what she was doing, she had never left the truth. And so it was so exciting for me as I kind of sat in the back of the room and watched her unfold her life to be able to pick out those essentials of faithfulness that Paul had shared with us last week and know 
that, ladies, Paul's truth for Timothy is truth in our life too. And that when we see it lived out in someone else's life, we see the faithfulness that Paul is encouraging Timothy to. And we're going to continue to look for Paul's encouragement to Timothy this week as we move on to chapter 2. Last week, Paul had one word for Timothy. We talked about that one word and it was faithful. Well, this week, Paul, this week, Paul has, okay, let me back up. I've stumbled over my words already. Last week, we had one word for Paul, and that was faithful. He was faithful in his life and his ministry. And this week, Paul has one word for Timothy, and that word is perseverance. The definition of perseverance, which I put on your outline there, actually gives us true and great insight into Paul's heart for Timothy because perseverance means to persist in an undertaking in spite of any opposition or any discouragement that we might have. And that really is what Paul wants for Timothy. Paul simply wants for Timothy to persist in life, to persist in his ministry and in his faith in spite of whatever opposition or discouragement he might run up against. He simply wants him to persevere day in and day out so that at the end of the sum of all of those days, if he just gets up one morning and persists through his challenges for that day, that at the end of his life, when you add up the sum of all of those days, he will be called faithful and his life will be a life of faithfulness. And as a result of that faithfulness in Timothy, that day in and day out persistence, the gospel will be spread. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a 19th century preacher and evangelist, and he said this about perseverance. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Now, all of us, if we sat here today, can only imagine what obstacles the snail probably encountered as he persevered however long it took him to reach the ark. But we don't have to imagine the, t- the challenges that Timothy is going to face as he pursues faithfulness because Paul is going to share them with us today in the second chapter of Timothy. Paul knows from experience what lies ahead of Timothy. He knows the challenges that Timothy must face as he pursues his life of faithfulness. And he knows that the road to faithfulness in the Christian life is actually paved with perseverance. It's one of those things that you can't live home without. And it's through perseverance that only, it's only through perseverance that the challenges of our faithfulness are going to be overcome. So let's discover what those challenges are for Timothy on the road to perseverance. Let's open up to Timothy, um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, you want to open it up and follow along. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. 
Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Now we find right off the bat Timothy's first challenge in verse 1. And it is the challenge, Paul tells him, of staying connected and dependent on Christ. Paul exhorts Timothy in verse 1 to be strong. But not to be strong in himself. Not to be strong in his own person. But to be strong in the divine gift that is found only in Jesus Christ. And that is the gift of divine empowerment. Now in the Greek... The verb tense that Paul uses here for be strong I thought was very interesting because that verb tense indicates the need for continual dependence on God. Not a one-time dependence on God, not an every now and then dependence on God when maybe life is hard, but a continual dependence on God. You know, Galatians 5.22, we talked about it last week, tells us that Faithfulness is the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So for faithfulness to blossom and bloom and to grow into fruit, the only way we're going to have that is through a constant dependence on God and His Spirit. And that means every hour, every day, every circumstance, every breath. And this is something that Paul understands without a doubt. Paul's life since meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus has been so outside of his own abilities. His life has been so outside of anything that he was capable of handling in his own strength. The suffering and the hardship that has been his life every day since he met Jesus Christ has caused him to learn this lesson of continual dependence on God and his spirit very, very well. In fact, Paul says this about himself in Philippians 4.13. That one is on your verse sheet. He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And he gives encouragement to everyone in the body of Christ in his letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.10 where he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And Jesus, who knew so very well what our lives was going to be like, tells this to us about... um, Staying connected to him and the challenge that that's going to be in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And the reason this is a truly a challenge in the life of the faithful is that it's our temptation to do God's work in our own strength. It's our temptation to do God's work with our own plans. It's our temptation to do God's work for our own purposes. And you know what? Many of us will succeed in doing that for a while. But after a while, if we're doing it in our own strength, with our own plan, for our own purposes, eventually discouragement or exhaustion or sin are going to derail those of us who are not divinely empowered. And what's going to happen? We're going to quit. We're going to sit down wherever we are and we are going to quit. There are no quitters on the road to faithfulness if you stay connected to Christ because Christ simply never quits himself. Theologian A.T. Robertson said this, Christ is the dynamo for power only when and while we keep in touch with him. And the way we maintain that dependence is we do it through submission to the Spirit of God in harmony with the will of God. 
Let me say that again. We maintain that dependence, which is going to be our challenge in life. We maintain that dependence through submission to the Spirit of God in harmony with the will of God. That's the challenge Paul knew Timothy would have as he pursues a life of faithfulness. Now, Timothy's second challenge comes in verse number 2, where Paul exhorts Timothy to entrust to others the truth that Paul had entrusted to him. In other words, he says to Timothy, you need to pass the torch of truth on to those in the body of Christ that are around you. Interestingly enough, you know, Paul really didn't have any expectation that teachers in the church in the future, as he looked down the road to the future of the church, he didn't have any expectation that those teachers were going to have to come up with some new truth to teach, that they were going to uncover some amazing doctrine that they'd never heard of before. Paul's expectation was really very simple as he talks to Timothy here. His expectation was that the gospel message that Timothy had heard him teach over and over and over again as they traveled on those missionary journeys, that that gospel message would be entrusted by Timothy to others who would in turn teach and share that message to others. And this is just the simple message and ministry of the ministry of multiplication in the church. It was God's plan when he sent Jesus. It was Jesus' plan when he chose the 12. And you know, in the fall, when we talked about the 12 disciples, I think Deb shared with you uh, at the very first, you know, God didn't have another plan except for these 12 men to understand his teaching that he was the son of God, that he was going to um, die He was going to be buried and he was going to be resurrected. Taking that message out was God's only plan. Teaching and sharing the gospel message, teaching others to teach and share the gospel message is the challenge that Paul alerts Timothy to in his life of faithfulness. You know, Timothy and all of us as faithful believers are going to have to pass that torch of truth to others around us and behind us for the gospel to be spread. I don't know if any of y'all have heard on the news recently about all the controversy that's going on with the Olympic torch as they're trying to pass it along the streets and there are protesters that are trying to stop that torch and to douse it. You know, there are people in the world that would like to stop the passing of the torch of truth also. And it's going to be our responsibility not only to pass that torch of truth, but to guard it and to make sure that that torch of truth is still lit and available to be torched. In 1858, there was a Sunday school teacher by the name of Mr. Kimball who led a Boston shoe clerk to Christ. Now, that shoe clerk's name was D.L. Moody, and D.L. Moody became an amazing evangelist, and D.L. Moody awakened a zeal for teaching the truth in a man named F.B. Meyer. Now, F.B. Meyer, in his zeal for teaching the truth, brought J. Wilbur Chapman to Christ, and then Chapman led a baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday to be involved in his passion for Christ in Christian work. Billy Sunday planned an evangelistic crusade with a young preacher named Mordecai Ham that he had encouraged to be involved in ministry. And during that crusade, Mordecai Ham preached a sermon. And that sermon was heard by a young man named Billy Graham. He heard the truth and he accepted Christ. Now, 
a lot of you know that my husband's first name is Billy, and most people think that it's William, and we get all of our mail addressed to William Davis. It, his name is not William. His mother named him Billy. And one day I asked her about that. Why did you name him Billy and not William? And she told me that a few months before he was born, she I didn't, mean, I didn't think this would affect me. She had accepted Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. And because of that, she named him Billy. All of her children, all of their spouses, all of her grandchildren are believers. All because the torch of truth was passed by a Sunday school teacher named Mr. Kimball 150 years ago. Timothy's challenge and ours is to continue with this plan of multiplication, to identify those around us who are faithful and reliable, who are able to train and equip. We are, must train and equip them in the truth and then challenge them to pass it on. If we take the torch and hold it, Either it will go out in our hands or someone else will douse it out. So we must take that torch of truth and pass it on. Paul says this to Titus in his letter to Titus about passing the torch. And he's talking um, about an elder here in Titus 1.9 on your verse. He says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And Titus says this to us as women about passing the torch. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. That is passing the torch. And then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. You know, being involved in teaching and mentoring and discipling other believers in the truth is going to be a challenge. There are many of you in this room that as I look out there and Uh, at your faces, you do disciple and mentor constantly. Um, And that is how we as the faithful ensure that the torch does not go out and that the next generation will actually have a torch to pass. Now, challenge number three on your outline and here in our text for Timothy is one that none of us ever really wants to cross paths with as we are on our journey of faithfulness, and that is enduring hardship. And you know, Paul is no um, stranger to the challenge of enduring hardship in the faith. Well, we, let, we read last week, 2 Corinthians 11, we read those verses that are pretty astounding that tell us that he was beaten not once but many times. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was in danger wherever he went. He was hungry and thirsty and cold and even naked. Now, Paul does not want Timothy to get the idea that Paul's life was some sort of an exception to the rule, that what happened to Paul was never going to happen to Timothy because that's not the truth. Paul knows that Timothy's faithfulness to God's truth would inevitably involve Timothy in suffering. And if Timothy is not prepared to persevere, if hardship is going to take Timothy by surprise, then he runs the risk of stumbling off that road of faithfulness or even turning back altogether. And Paul uses three great illustrations for us here. I hope you all had a chance to discuss them in your small group. He uses a soldier an athlete, and a farmer. And these were familiar images to to Paul's writings, particularly the military images. If you look back in all of Paul's writing, he oftentimes calls up that word picture of a soldier. The Roman world was actually a pretty military world. There were soldiers wherever you went back in Paul's day. 
But even more than that, if you think about it, you know, Paul was probably chained night and day to a Roman soldier. So that military image was in his mind because as he wrote, there was a soldier that was chained to him right there. And Paul knows because of all of his association with soldiers and the one that he's chained to every second, night and day, he knows that they're single-minded in their purpose. They're very good at taking orders, very disciplined. And so should every follower of Christ be the same. We should be focused on our mission and disciplined in our responses. And we should be listening to our commander-in-chief. Paul knows that he would never have survived all those hardships of 2 Corinthians 11 that we've talked about. He would never have survived all of those hardships without the focus and discipline that a good soldier has. And neither will Timothy. In his second illustration of an athlete, he points out that athletes who don't play by the rules don't win the prize. And actually, most of the time, if they don't play by the rules, they don't even finish the race. And Paul desperately wants Timothy to run for the prize. This is one of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. The life of the faithful will take running the race with discipline and self-control while being obedient to God's precepts. Paul understands the challenge that that's going to be because Timothy is going to lead a church. He's going to pastor a church and that is going to cause him to be challenged in this. Like any winning athlete, he's going to have to deny himself, endure pain, and persevere to the finish line. Now, Paul's final illustration is that of a hardworking farmer. And just like the soldier who wants to please the commanding officer and the athlete that wants to win the prize, a diligent, hardworking farmer is also going to have a reward. He will be the first to actually reap a harvest. If Timothy is going to be a farmer for Christ, without a doubt, he's going to have to first plant and then nourish the gospel seeds. There are no shortcuts in farming There are no way that a farmer can figure out how to get that crop if he sits inside and looks at the field. And there are also no shortcuts in ministry or in the Christian life. It's only after uh, planting and nourishing the seed of truth will faithful followers of Christ reap the harvest of God's word in the lives around them. All three of Paul's illustrations to Timothy share with him that enduring the hardships of life they're going to take, for Timothy and for us, enduring all those hardships as we're faithful are going to take focus and it's going to take discipline and self-control and hard work. But those of us who are faithful and persevere to the end will be rewarded. Okay, so let's continue on in chapter 2. Let's read verses 8 through 13. Remember, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not changed. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Challenge number four that Paul shares with Timothy in these verses 
is remembering the ultimate example of faithfulness is Jesus Christ himself. You know, none of us really like that thought that there may be hardship in our future or perhaps we're on the path of hardship right now. And certainly we don't look forward to suffering. But the truth is, the faithful are always going to endure if we keep our eyes on the cross. As long as we never forget that Christ is the ultimate example of perseverance that leads to the success of overcoming the world and overcoming sin in our life, we will continue in our faith. Paul says in these verses that the only thing that he is willing to suffer for is the gospel message. For the message of Christ's suffering, Christ dying, and Christ raised from the dead. You know, Paul had once been the greatest oppressor of the saints, but because of the gospel and because of the example of Jesus Christ, he was now willing to be the most greatly oppressed of the saints. Our faithful endurance of the trials of the Christian life and Timothy's, Paul knows, rests firmly on remembering the only good reason to ever suffer. And that is the gospel and example of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.20 But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The only good reason we should ever be willing to suffer is for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's continue and let's read verses 14 through 19 in the text. Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with the inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Okay, challenge number five for Timothy has to do with words. Words are important in our life. They are important in our faith. It is words that are going to build up the church It is words of truth that are going to build up the church and build up God's people. And it is foolish words that are going to tear down the church and lead God's people astray. Foolish words cause divisiveness and they promote controversy over things that Paul says have actually no bearing on the gospel of Christ or the character of God's people. 1 Timothy 4, 7 on your sheet says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 4 says, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions. 
Paul understands that it is foolish words that actually lead everyone down the path of false teaching. And they oftentimes, these foolish words and the foolish people that speak them, end up being more concerned with the victory of the speaker than the victory of the truth. As the faithful ladies, and particularly us as women, we are going to have to be wise with our words. We're going to have to be very, very careful that our words do not create controversy. And we have to be very careful to not engage in quarrels when it has nothing to do with the truth. If you've been part of a church very long, you know that there are many, many things that have nothing to do with the truth that we could be upset with each other about. But even more than watching our own words, we and Timothy, as uh, leaders in the church, as women of faith, uh, will have the challenge and the responsibility of being proactive and being consistent with others and warning others in the church who do want to quarrel about words and warning others in the church who do want to gossip, who do want to have their own personal victory rather than a victory that's related to the truth. As a leader in the church, as women in the church, warning the unwise about their words will be one of our challenges um, as we continue on the road to faithfulness. And that brings us to challenge number six, which also has to do with words. Along with being diligent in warning God's people about the destructiveness of foolish words, Timothy is also going to have the challenge to be diligent with the word of truth. Paul's metaphor here of a workman who does not need to be ashamed but handles the word of truth correctly actually gives a picture of a bricklayer that lays very carefully, that works very hard to lay a perfect wall of bricks, a a wall of bricks that are strong and straight and true to the method of laying bricks. It also gives the metaphor, also gives the picture in Paul's day of a tent maker, and Paul was a tent maker, so I'm sure he probably thought about this when he used this metaphor, of a tent maker that worked very carefully to cut his seams of his fabric perfectly straight. There is no trade or skill more important than that of presenting the truth carefully and accurately. How Timothy, as a a minister of the gospel, presented God's truth was important to Paul. Very, very, very important to Paul. Because Paul knew how important it was to God. In fact, he tells him in verse 15, Mishandling the truth will bring the shame of God's disapproval. All believers... All of us in this room, all of us with a Bible have got to take this challenge seriously. Not only should we be diligent with the truth ourselves, but we should make sure that those who are in our pulpits, those who teach our Bible studies, those who are heads of our ministries, who lead our ministries, are diligent with the truth. That they have the right motive when they teach the truth, that they have the right meaning when they um, examine the truth and that they make the right application when they encourage it to apply it to our lives. Second Corinthians 4.2 says, We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of truth. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul here in verse 17 actually points out men in the church who have wandered from the truth and what happens when there are people like that in the church whose teaching um, is wrong. He says that it was deadly to the faith of those who heard them. For the faithful, being diligent with the truth 
is our only um, option in the church. But we have to know that it's going to take hard work, it's going to take earnest study, and it's going to take a lot of prayer. Bible teacher A.B. Simpson said this about being diligent with God's truth. He said, God has hidden every precious thing in such a way that it is a reward to the diligent, a prize to the earnest, but a disappointment to the slothful soul. All nature is arrayed against the lounger and the idler. The nut is hidden in a thorny case. The pearl is buried beneath the ocean waves. The gold is imprisoned in the rocky bosom of the mountains. The gem is found only after you crush the rock which encloses it. The very soil gives its harvest as a reward only to the hardworking farmer. So truth and God must be earnestly sought. Okay, let's finish up with our last couple of verses, verses 22 through 26. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone who's able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Timothy's final challenge and a final and a challenge for us that Paul, the very last thing that Paul says to Timothy here actually is pretty concise. He says to Timothy, grow up. Grow in personal maturity, Timothy. And that's our challenge too, to grow in our personal maturity no matter what our age is so that the things that typically capture the young and the immature such as impatience and intolerance and argumentativeness or maybe making a name for ourselves because we think we've discovered some unique theology, uh, that that would be replaced by the attributes of maturity which Paul lays out here for Timothy like righteousness and faith and love and peace and a pure heart. In his maturity and in his wisdom, Paul has seen that much of the controversy that was prevalent in the church in Paul's day, much that was expounded on by those who were false teachers, was actually completely irrelevant. The immature in the church um, used the irrelevant to breed strife about questions that were either unimportant or possibly unsolvable. I'd like to say that this is a challenge that was unique to Timothy and Paul's day, but it's not. It's still a challenge for every church and every one of us that sits in a church. It's a challenge for us in the church to grow up, to grow up in our personal and spiritual maturity and to put aside our own need to argue over the unimportant or the unsolvable and instead persevere in being kind to everyone as he finishes up here in these final verses. Instead, to be kind to everyone. Instead, to be gently teaching those around us who still need to grow up and in bringing out the best in everyone that sits in the pew around us. Paul speaks about that kind of grown-up in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3.12, down at the bottom of your sheet, says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, and bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you might have against one another. Forgive as the Lord 
forgave you. That's the kind of grown-up that Paul wants Timothy to be, and he wants for each of us as we persevere through the challenges on the road of faithfulness. Now, Paul never actually uses the word perseverance. I don't know whether you noticed that in the text. He never actually uses it to Timothy. But it's obvious throughout all of these verses that his heart is for Timothy to persist, to persist in his steadfast allegiance to the gospel of Christ in spite of any challenges that he encounters along the way and in spite of any discouragement that bumping up against these challenges may bring Timothy. Paul's word for Timothy and Paul's word for us is definitely persevere. James 1 verses 2 through 4 on your sheet talks about perseverance in a way that Timothy and Paul would be excited about. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. And, you know, that's exactly what we want as women of God, that we would persevere until we are mature and complete and not lacking in anything. And so my challenge for you today on the bottom of your outline as you think about God faithfulness is really pretty simple. The first one is to consider your challenges. When I was a little girl, we used to go camping as a family, and all of us um, little girls that were on the camping trip, all my sisters, we were always scared of snakes. You know, my dad would pull up to the campsite, and none of us would want to get out because we would think there was a snake. And, you know, bless the poor man's heart. That's all he did was tell the girls there were no snakes around. But he used to, um, he used to say this, He would say to us, the only snake that will bite you is the one you don't see. And of course, of course, his point was, if we were vigilant, if we paid attention to where we were going and what was around us, then there was never going to be an opportunity for a snake to bite us because we would see it first and get out of its way. The same thing is true in our challenge to faithfulness. If we are vigilant, we can overcome, avoid and overcome those things that are going to hinder our faithfulness. So this week, I just want you to take some time and consider, look back over Timothy's list. Maybe uh, God will give you your own challenge that's not on Timothy's list. And your challenges are going to be faithful, different from your neighbors. And your challenges for faithfulness are going to be different this year than maybe they are next year. But look Look over the list and star some of those things that maybe you need to be vigilant about as it presents a challenge in your life. Maybe it's staying connected to Christ. Maybe that's your biggest challenge. Maybe it's passing the torch. You're struggling with whether to be a discipler or a mentor to someone around you. And maybe it's simply growing up and maturing in areas that you need to mature. And then after you discover what your unique challenges are, and we all have them, every one of us in this room will have a list, Pray for perseverance. I know that's scary to you. Everyone always thinks if I pray about something like that, God's going to give me a challenge. But pray for perseverance. Pray that God will give you whatever it takes to persist in spite of any opposition or discouragement so that we might do what the author of Hebrews suggests in 12.3. Hebrews 12.3. Let's close with this verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's pray.
Lord, that's exactly what we want to do. We want to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that entangles us and run the race that you have put before each one of us with perseverance. And Father, we want to run it like we're running for the prize. We don't want to just amble along the road and hope that we get there. And Father, I pray that you would just empower us and reveal to us the things that are challenges in our own life. Father, I pray that you would give us courage and strength and and patience to work through the things that we need to persevere on. Father, I thank you for these women. I pray that you would bless them and bless them and bless them again for their willingness to study your word and to come faithfully to a Bible study every single week. And I pray, Lord, um, as we leave here today, that your truth would guide us, would encourage us, and would lead us on to perseverance. I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I just want a reminder as Wendy comes up, Wendy, come on, come on. I just want to give you a reminder about the scholarship.